Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource base for autism and much more. I'm very happy to have Dr. Hilary Gannick as my guest today. Dr. Gannick is a research fellow in the Center for Global Child Health at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Her research explores the influences of social determinants of health on linguistic and auditory development in children at risk for language delay, and those including hearing loss as well. After completing her PhD in Rehabilitation Sciences at the University of Toronto, she served as a postdoctoral research fellow in the Cochlear Implant Lab at SickKids in Toronto. Prior to her research career, Dr. Gannick worked clinically as a speech-language pathologist and certified auditory-verbal therapist at an Australian family-centered early intervention clinic and on multidisciplinary cochlear implant team at John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. She has taught oral rehabilitation in Vietnam and Ethiopia. Welcome, Hillary. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me today to discuss the effects of auditory or hearing challenges on language learning. Thanks, Gilda. It's so exciting to be here. This is my uh, my first podcast experience, so I'm, it's a pleasure that you've invited me, and I'm excited to talk with you today. Well, I'm sure you're going to do great, and I'm going to make it as easy for you as possible. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so to begin with... Um, In the bio, you mentioned something called social determinants of health. What are they and how might they influence language learning? Sure. So social determinants of health are, um, uh, I'll call them a variable that uh, we've recently uh, come to realize really affects health outcomes that are outside of uh, medicine. So rather than thinking of of how healthy you are, how sick you are. These are things like um, how how stable is your economic situation? How accessible is education? How accessible is uh, food for you to get? Uh, What kind of social context are you living in? Uh, What kind of culture and family are you you coming from? And all of those different elements play into uh, many different aspects of our health. And the work that I do is looking at how those different types of aspects, how the culture that we're raising our children in uh, affects the way that they learn language. And uh, as it turns out, uh, quite a lot. (laughs) Um, And these are, uh, you know, kind of um, elements that I think we don't think so much about uh, in speech language therapy. We think a lot about um, a child's health and uh, and uh, uh, aspects of their their development and how that in and of itself can affect uh, the way that they're learning language. But we tend to ignore uh, the family's culture, uh, you know, where they're living, uh, how they're living, and how those different elements are affecting their their language learning. And they really have a huge impact on the way everyone talks, whether or not you're at risk for a language delay. So what does language learning have to do with developing a child's identity? Right. So uh, I think if you 
if you think about it, if you think about the environment that you grew up in, Gilda, that had a, a huge impact on, on how you've turned out as an adult, the people who yeah, supported you, you know, the different um, cultural experiences you would have had, the different um, uh, places that you got your education, where you went to school, uh, all of these things play into helping us determine who we are. Uh, not only that, but the way that we talk uh, is one of the ways that we tell the world who we are, right? Uh, we both speak with American English accents because we're from America and that's how we talk. And when we travel to other parts of the world, people will know that we're American because of the way that we talk. And we do that on purpose. We want, subconsciously, we want people to know that we identify as American. And so we talk this way. Uh, people who are born in America, who move to another country, who no longer want to be identified deep down as American, they want to be identified as British if they've moved to England, will start to pick up a British accent. Uh, and that's because they want the world to know that they identify with the British culture. Um, so all of these different social determinants, all of these uh, places that we go to school and the people that we interact with and um, the churches and synagogues that we are a part of, um, all of that feeds into uh, how we learn who we are and how we choose to identify to the rest of the world. And we do that in part through the way that we speak. Okay. Um, so in terms of, let's say, a language delay, if there's an auditory challenge, a hearing challenge that a child is dealing with, how does that play into the socialization process that you've been discussing? And what would the caregiver's role be in, in the language socialization process? So when a child is at risk for a language delay because of a hearing loss or for any other reason, um, you know, in, in America, uh, that child will probably get gain access to a speech language pathologist and to have um, some sort of speech language therapy. Uh, and we know that there are benefits to, to that service. But as I said, kind of at the top, uh, as speech therapists, we don't always think about these social determinants and how important they are uh, to language learning and to the development of that child's identity. We, what we want is just for that child to be able to communicate anything. But the fact is that if we do that without considering all of these social determinants of, of uh, you know, what's around the child and what makes up that child's identity, um, then we end up uh, kind of robbing that child of the ability to share that identity when they go out into the world and communicate with other people. So, um, you know, when it comes to the caregiver's role, um, <clears throat> you know, typically what we'll see in situations where, um, you know, the that social aspect is being ignored, where the, the speech therapist, uh, you know, is expecting the child to communicate in one way and the caregivers are expecting them to communicate in a different way because of their cultural differences. One of two things happens and that is either that the caregiver um, won't follow through with what the therapist has told them because they think 
well, that doesn't make any sense. That's not the way that I think my child should be communicating. And, uh, you know, that's going to make a situation where the child isn't going to be able to thrive in therapy because the caregiver isn't on board. The other thing that happens is that the caregiver thinks that the speech therapist is the expert and says, well, that sounds weird and wrong to me, but I'm going to do it anyway because the speech therapist is the expert and she told me to do it. So I'm going to do that with my child. And in doing that, yes, maybe the child is learning to communicate, but they're missing that, that social determinant, that, that, um, you know, cultural piece from the family because they're not communicating in the way that their family and their community communicates. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the child is then missing that piece of their identity. So as a caregiver, it's important in your therapy sessions to communicate with your therapist about how you expect your child to communicate and when you expect your child to communicate and what you expect them to talk about, what you don't expect them to talk about, how much you expect them to talk, how little you expect them to talk. There are some cultures in, well, I should start with America because I'm assuming that most of your listeners <laughs> will be in America and will be familiar with this. You know, we expect very young children to be able to produce these very long narratives about what they do at school all day, right? The child comes home and the first thing you say is, what did you do at school today? And then we're going to sit there and listen to every single word that that child <laughs> Right, says. right, yeah. Right? We're really, really interested in that. And in other cultures, that's not the norm. You know, adults don't, uh, you know, aren't expected to sit and listen to children because in some cultures, children are considered um, not as important to adults as adults. And so adults aren't going to take the time to sit down and, and listen to them produce this really long narrative. And to us as Americans, that sounds wrong, but it's not wrong. It's just how things are done in those cultures. And if you come from one of those cultures, you need to express that to your speech therapist so that adjustments can be made in speech therapy so that we're not losing that cultural piece of uh, communication that will uh, you know, be a part of your child's identity, that will be who your child is because they're a part of your family's culture. Sounds, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's very, very good advice. Uh, and I think you've already addressed my next question, at least partially. But uh, what are some of the ways that caregivers can make sure that their child isn't missing out on the socialization elements related to language learning during treatment? You've already, you already mentioned a few. Are there any other tips or advice you can give in terms of that particular aspect of the treatment? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously communicating directly with your speech therapist and, and making sure that your speech therapist is providing you with the tools that you need in order to, to um, be instilling those traits into your child. But, you know, you're not in speech therapy 24 hours a day with your, with your child. You know, think about those... Um, those cultural experiences that you want your child to have, those pieces of um, who, who you want them to be and who you want them to be, um, 
what you want them to be doing, what you think children in that child's age should be doing, um, and make sure that they're doing it. I know that, you know, if your child has uh, additional needs, that it can be difficult to, um, to, to think about, you know, what your child would be doing if you didn't have to be going to speech therapy uh, once a week or twice a week or however many times you go. Um, but, you know, you need to make time for those other activities and make sure that your child is having those other experiences as well, because uh, we want to think of your child as a whole child and not just as whatever their diagnosis is. They need to be out in the world doing uh, the things that other kids do, because that's how they're going to eventually uh, relate to other people in their community and the other kids who are around them. Well, I think all of that is very sound advice, Hillary, and actually very empowering for parents and, and other caregivers who are having to take care of, of children or other loved ones with any sort of hearing challenges and speech therapy and, and so on and so forth to be able to make sure that they are communicating with the therapist properly and that the person who is undergoing the therapy uh, and the treatment is approached in a way that's going to make sense for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, then you can say, you know, I really want to do this certain activity with my child. and Maybe you don't know how to do it with them. And if you go to your therapist and you express, this is what I want to do, you know, maybe they're able to help you figure out the best way to do that, make it accessible for your child as well. And that's going to snowball because it will give the therapist more ideas about what they can do in therapy in a way that fits your lifestyle, as opposed to you having to fit into the instructions of the speech therapist. And that's really what's going to be most successful. So tell me, how can people reach you if they have questions? Um, so the best way to reach me is through my uh, work email, which is uh, Hillary, it's with two L's, dot Gannick, G-A-N-E-K, at sickkids.ca. All right. And would you mind spelling that out slowly? Uh, just in case people aren't, aren't sure uh, exactly what you just said. Sure. From, from the beginning? From the beginning. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. So uh, the whole thing all together is hillary.ganick at sickkids.ca. And I'll spell it out for you. H-I-L-L-A-R-Y dot G-A-N-E-K at S-I-C-K-K-I-D-S dot C-A. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Hillary, for your time and for sharing some very important information with us today. And thank you so much for having me. This was fun. It's been great getting to know you, Gilda. You're welcome back anytime, by the way. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself 
and that special person in your life 